It is a joy to be able to share in this Advent season with you. I so appreciate Pastor Todd letting me be a part of this, as he did last year. It's nice of him to let the old man back in the pulpit every now and then. Keeps me oiled up and feeling pretty good about it. But it's always fun. It's always a joy during the Advent season to come and think about the first coming of our Lord and to realize he's coming again. To come and think about the fact that he is Lord and King right now. It's not something that is a future event that's going to take place, but he is reigning and ruling even as we sit here in this building this morning. My task this morning is to talk about the type and the teaching of Isaac, the, the, the son of Abraham and Sarah, the, the one who is the son of promise, and to talk about how that is a type that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Todd did a great job last Sunday of of dealing with what constitutes a type. Everything, as he said, in the Old Testament is not a type of Christ, although everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. He's everywhere in the, in the Old Testament as we look at the Old Covenant. He's, he, he's on every page of Scripture in one way or another, but there are certain types that point to him. It's much easier to, to recognize a type sometimes when when you look at the, a New Testament book and they refer to Isaac or refer to a person who is a type, and you realize that, yes, right there, they're pointing us to this Old Testament character in order to point us to the reality of the New Testament and the coming of Christ. And that's exactly what the writer of the Hebrews is doing in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll take them and turn with me to Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Now, I warn you, we're going to go over to Genesis chapter 22 also, so be ready to turn over there because we'll park there for a little bit as we think about Isaac and the story of his being sacrificed or being offered up by his father Abraham on that particular day that, that took place many, many years ago. I want you to hear what the writer says, though, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 17 through 19. We, we meditated on the first verse, 17, just a few moments ago. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, those who followed worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful to you this day that we can come and bow in your presence. We're thankful, Lord, for your call on our lives and your work in our lives by your Holy Spirit. We are grateful, Father, that, that you give us pictures that point to you. We're, we're thankful that you give us things thousands of years before you came in your first advent that let us know a bit about who you are and what you're going to be like when you are born in that manger almost 2,000 years ago now. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your word in its entirety, from Genesis to Revelation, that teaches us your truth, doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know, but Father, it does tell us everything we know to walk with you and to trust in you and to know that though our sins be many, your mercy and your grace is far greater than any sin that is, that is in our lives when we come to the cross, when we come to Christ. Father, use this hour as we think of Advent, as we think of Christ, as we think of Isaac. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important to recognize that when the writer of Hebrews talks about this event, he talks about the fact that Abraham, by faith, is offering up Isaac, his son, that, that he was trusting God, that he, he knew that this son was the son who was promised. You know the whole story of Abraham. It's a, it's a rather complicated one, a rather long one. He was living in a pagan country. He was called out of that pagan country, and God said, leave your family, leave your people, and bring your family with you, and, and I'm going to lead you somewhere. There was not a lot of detail given. It took faith for Abraham to say, now, now I'll be honest with you, I think if the living God were to appear to me in, in clarity and in person and say, leave this country and go where I'm going to take you, I'd, I'd, be, I'd, I'd have a lot of faith at, right at that point to say, okay, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. But, but recognize that it was an act of faith that he became a follower of Yahweh, a follower of Jehovah, and began to walk with him, began to follow him, to wherever he was going to lead him. I love the verse in our theme hymn for this series, uh, the Matt Papa, Matt Boswell hymn, you know, the Christ the true and, and uh, better. Uh, Christ the true and better. And then the four things that they mention in the song and, and that we're looking at in this series. But in that verse on Christ the true and better Isaac, they say, Christ the true and better Isaac, humble son of sacrifice who would climb the fearful mountain, there to offer up his life, laid with faith upon the altar, God's joy and only son, Father's, son and only jo Father's joy and only son. There salvation was provided. Oh, what full and boundless love. You see there, Pop and Boswell taking the, the reality of this and, and claiming that it is Christ who is pictured in Isaac. It's Christ that is pictured in what takes place. And, and it's, it's by faith that Christ goes to the cross, trusting in his Father, knowing that he is here to accomplish the Father's work. And so he goes to the cross by faith. It's also the reality that Isaac went to his altar, if you will, by faith, trusting all the way along. In Genesis chapter 22, and if you want to turn there, please do. I, I'm not going to go into every verse here, but I'm going to do most of them, talk about most of them. But, but in, this, in this passage, you realize that something unique is taking place. Something that has never taken place before at this particular time in, in the life of God's working with his people. Now, Isaac had come, I mean, Abraham had come out of a pagan culture. You understand that? So, so Abraham was not un, un, unaware of the fact that there was child sacrifice 
in that pagan culture. It, it was, in some of the cultures, it was a normal thing to take place, that, that you offered a sacrifice of a child. Moloch was a false god that required the sacrifice of infant children. And that's why in our own day, we kind of attach Moloch with the whole abortion and, and, and death culture that we're living in. It's, it's requiring death for that particular uh, that particular worship, if you will. And so we see that is a part of pagan culture. But this is the first time, and quite honestly the only time, that we ever see God, Yahweh, the true and the living God, saying to one of his followers, now I want you to take your son, your child, and I want you to offer them as a sacrifice. We know that Abraham had waited, Sarah had waited on a child, that they had been promised when they came out that, that they would have a child and, and he would be the one who would take their name forward and they, the, their people would be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. They would be multiplied through Isaac. And, and they waited on that and they just didn't really know that it was really going to happen. So much so that Abraham and Sarah decided to kind of take things into their own hands. They were getting older. They were very old. And, and they realized they were far beyond the childbearing years. And so they conspired together to get Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian handmaiden, and, and to go into Hagar and to have a child with Hagar who could be their child and they could raise as their own. And so that's exactly what happened. You've got to know that God was just shaking his head at the, at the silliness of that, at the trying to do in the flesh, as, the writer, as Paul says in Galatians, trying to do in the flesh what could only be done by the Spirit, what could only be done by God, what could only be accomplished, the promise accomplished through the work of God in their lives. And, and they were just impatient. And so they tried to fulfill that themselves. And then later, Sarah, long after an age where she would be able to naturally bear a child, becomes pregnant, has a child. God says his name will be Isaac, and they, they named him Isaac. And, and this child was the child of promise and was the, the precious one that both Sarah and, and Abraham cherished and loved and cared for more than anything else in this world. And you see then Genesis 22. And God comes again to Abraham and in verse 1, he says, after these things, God tested Abraham. I often wonder about that test. You, you know, it says on later on, I know now that you fear God and that you are a man who fears God. You think God didn't know that already? The, the omnipotent, omniscient one who knows all things and everything? Of course he knew it already. The test was not so much to prove to God that that Abraham feared him, but the test was to show Abraham that he really did fear God, that he really did trust God, and he cherished God above everything else in this world, above everything else in this world. And so God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. When Abraham heard those words in verses 1 and 2, he, he, I'm sure there must have been a little bit of a perplexed feeling with him. There must have been a little bit of 
questioning here. God, I, you've, never, you've never ordered this before. You've never commanded this before. Now, in my old life, in the pagan life, it was normal, but not now. But it's amazing how specific God gets. He says there, he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and take him to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Why didn't God just say, Abraham, take your son and go to Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice unto me. Take him there and offer him on the altar. Why didn't he just say, Abraham, take your son? I'll tell you why. Abraham would have quickly said, okay, God, I'll do that. Hey, Ishmael, uh, Ish, come here a minute. We're going on a trip. We've got to go and be obedient to God. And, and you're going to be the one that's going to be the sacrifice that are offered him. No, God is very specific. Take your son, your only son, the only son, the, the son that you love, and go to Moriah. You see, that's what basically the writer of Hebrews is saying and, the, and Paul in Galatians is saying when he talks about the fact that this is the one who was done by faith. This is the one who was the son of promise. Ishmael was done in the flesh. Ishmael was, done, was conceived by man trying to accomplish what God had promised and thought, we're going to have to help God along with this a little bit. And so Ishmael, in God's eyes, is not even viewed as a son of Abraham's, much less his only son, much less the son that he loves. Folks, there's a lesson there for you and me. What really matters in our life is what God does in us and through us. What really matters in our life is not what we try to accomplish for God or try to help God with or say, you know, I think I can help God along with this a little bit and get it done a little faster. No, what, what really counts in our life is where we trust God, believe God, and know that God will provide, and we walk with Him and believe Him every step of the way. So vital, so important, even in our own lives. But in spite of being probably a little bit perplexed, a little bit surprised, maybe even a little bit of a doubt why God would say this to him. Nonetheless, Abraham rose. There was an immediate obedience. Do you see that? Abraham didn't argue with God. Abraham didn't say, God, wait a minute. Do you know who you've just told me to offer? Do you realize that you have just told me to offer up the, the son of promise, the son that you gave to us in a supernatural way when we were far beyond childbearing years, do you know, God, who you're asking me to sacrifice? Of course, God knew who he was asking him to sacrifice. And so, Abraham has learned that God is faithful. God is true. And he says, okay, so immediately he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, three-day journey to Moriah, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
even in spite of God never saying anything like this before, Abraham obeyed God. You know, there's an amazement that God would tell him to do this. Matter of fact, a lot of biblical scholars uh, on uh, on the left side will say, this is really not real. This can't really be a part of Scripture. God would never do that. Oh, God would do it to show us the faithfulness of Abraham, but also to show us the faithfulness of God that was yet to come. And so he did it, an immediate obedience. Three-day journey to Moriah. And, and in verse 5, there's just a hint of Abraham's faith. And I don't think it's any minor thing. When he says to the two young men that went with him to help him bear the load, he said, listen, but stay here with the donkey, I and the boy... We'll go over there and worship and come again to you. There's a faith there that I'm going and I'm going in obedience. and I'm going to seek to do everything that God has told me to do. I've got the fire. I've got the wood. And we're going to go and build the altar. And we're going to, we're going to make that sacrifice that God has required. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that he, he really believed there could be a resurrection. Now, there's something else that's never happened up to this point. Never been a resurrection from the dead. And yet Abraham says, I believe that if, if God requires me to sacrifice Isaac and he's the son of promise, that there will be a resurrection, that he will again rise from the dead. So they went out. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. Now, Isaac bears the load of the sacrifice that's about to be made. The sacrificial instruments, the wood, the heavy part. Abraham had a fire, Abraham had a knife, but, but not, not the wood. Tells us a lot about Isaac here. Isaac was no small child. Spurgeon said that he believed that Isaac was probably 33 years old when this took place. Might be a little bit of typology in that, don't you think? That Isaac was around 30 to 33 years old when, when they went for the sacrifice. So you've got to realize that Abraham was not as fast or quick as Isaac. Abraham was not as strong as Isaac. And so the wood was placed upon him, and he carries the wood to the place where there's going to be a sacrifice and recognizing there's nothing to sacrifice at this point. So the writer goes on, and he says, As he took the wood and laid it on Isaac, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said, Father, and Abraham said, Here I am, son. Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire, and behold the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? which is by far the most important part of a burnt offering. You don't just burn wood as an offering. You don't just light a fire to say, this is an offering unto God. There is to be the the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was without blemish, the lamb that is perfect. Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb For the burnt offering, my son. So that both of them went on to that place together. Again, in Abraham's mind, he he knows that 
he is about to sacrifice his son. But he also knows that God is faithful to all his promises. And so if he does sacrifice him, he'll be resurrected. Or somehow God is going to provide. So verse 9 says, when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood on the altar and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, I believe you not only see the faith of Abraham here, but you see the faith of Isaac. You see that he not only trusts his father, but he's trusting God for whatever this is. Isaac is, is not going to fight his father, although he could probably whip him if he needed to in a fight. He could probably have said, I'm not going to be bound by these ropes. I'm not going to be laid on that wood. What are you doing, Father? But he didn't. Abraham bound him, put him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you imagine the emotions that must have been racing through his whole system? Can you imagine the, the mixture of faith and fear and understanding and misunderstanding and questioning and, and all this? But he takes that knife. He gets ready to slaughter his son. He walks over to where the altar has been prepared and where Isaac is laying bound by ropes. And he takes that knife and he raises that knife up to pierce it through the very heart of Isaac. And they offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And as he raises that knife up, in verse 11 it says, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Same words he said to God when God said, Abraham, I want you to go to Moriah. I want you to go and make this sacrifice. Here I am. I almost wonder, though, if there weren't a little bit of a different inflection in his voice here. Earlier when God said, Abraham, and he said, here I am, Lord. If now it wasn't sort of like, Abraham, Abraham, and he, he said something like, here I am, what now? Is there a chance? And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham could not have made this sacrifice without Isaac's cooperation and Isaac's consent. Isaac could have broke loose and run, but Isaac was committed to obedience of his father. And if his father's obedience to God was to do this, then Isaac was as committed to that obedience to God as Abraham was. He said, but here we are. It's lifted. He doesn't have to lay a hand on him. And there you've had the obedience, an initial obedience and a continuing obedience, an ultimate obedience of putting Isaac there and raising the knife and preparing him for sacrifice. That is the ultimate obedience to God. But now you have divine response. You have a divine response that is God's intervention. And he says there in verse 13, 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. The Hebrew name of God for that is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. If I gave this sermon, Christ, the true and better Isaac, a, a subtitle, the subtitle would be God will provide. He always does. He always does. In every circumstance, in every life of every believer, God always provides. He is always Jehovah Jireh to everyone who is in faith in Christ. There's no failure in that. There is no exception to that. Now, He always provides. It may not be always the way we expect Him to provide. It may not be always the way we want Him to provide. It may not even be always the way we say, Lord, this would be the best way for you to provide. But He always provides. Where that's in the situation of a temptation. Paul says he, he never allows us to be tempt tempted unless he has provided a way of escape. Hey, whether it be in the, the sense of the economy we live in today, we, we have to understand our trust is not in other things. It's not in money. It's not in property. It's not in the stuff that we can accumulate. But our faith must be in the truth of Jehovah Jireh. Our God will provide. And he did with Abraham so that we might see the reality of what is going to take place in Christ. We think about the cradle during the Advent season. We think about the reality that on that first Advent, Christ came as a young baby in a manger, surrounded by his mother and his his. I guess adopted father, Joseph, uh, surrounded by the, the shepherds and, and later su surrounded by the Magi. They all came and surrounded that baby in the cradle and, and there was rejoicing and there was praising, knowing that something special, something unique had happened that night. Knowing that as the angel had told Mary, the very Son of God had been born through her in a very supernatural, very miraculous way. And yet the reality is the manger means nothing without what Isaac is pointing to. The manger is powerless unless we see the reality of the totality of his life and, yes, his death. I, I love the graphic, Christ the true and better. The reality, I, I've, if you've been at Grace for very many years, you've always heard me say during the Advent season, that the cross was always behind the cradle. Always was. There was no birth that didn't start in this world with the cross before him. Christ knew he came into the world for a purpose, and that purpose was to go to, to the cross as a sacrifice. And so what are the types, what are the similarities between the type of Isaac and the reality of Jesus? Well, think about just a few. First of all, Isaac and Jesus were both 
only begotten sons. They were the only sons of the Father that was recognized. Jesus was the only begotten. Uh, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. They were both sons of love and sons of promise and, and sons that the, the Father cherished deeply. They were also both born of supernatural births. Sarah becoming with child years after the childbearing years. And it took the work of God, the Spirit of God, to bring about that miraculous birth of Isaac, a supernatural birth of Isaac as the son of promise. Jesus was born of a virgin. The prophets told that and prophesied that. We know that to be true. Uh, Matthew makes clear, Luke makes clear that she was, when she had never known Joseph, she had not known him. She was betrothed to him, so she knew him as a person. But listen, and I won't, you can leave it to your understanding. The word that she did not know Joseph doesn't mean they hadn't shaken hands and said hello. They had not been intimate with one another in the way that children are conceived. So he was born of a virgin, born of a sur- sur- uh, supernatural birth. Both Isaac and Jesus were named by God. Isaac, maybe through a little more humorous way, with Sarah and Abraham laughing at the very thought of it, but Jesus through the Father, through the prophets. He will, and through the angel, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel. His name will be called Emmanuel, the prophet said, because this baby in the manger, this first advent, is God with us. What a glorious truth. They, Isaac and Jesus were both burnt offerings, at least potentially, Isaac was to be offered on that altar. Jesus was offered on the altar of the cross, which, by the way, is the only altar that we have, folks. This is not an altar. It's the front of the church. But the altar is the cross. And Jesus was offered there. He said, well, Jesus didn't burn there. He was crucified, and, and, and he died there of, of crucifixion. But, but let me tell you something. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the fire of God's wrath upon his life. Wrath that was deserved by you and me. And as Paul says later to the Corinthians, he said, and, and he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God. In other words, he who knew no sin became sin so that we who know no righteousness and have no righteousness of our own might become Imputed with his righteousness. They were both offered up as burnt offerings. They were offered up. Jesus offered up by the Father on the cross. Isaac offered up by Abraham. It's interesting also that on the way to the sacrifice, they were both accompanied by two men. Two young young men of Abraham's employ or servants. And they went with them until they went that final bit, and as Jesus hung on the cross, he was there with two men, two, two 
outlaws, two terrorists, if you will, hanging there on the cross on either side of him. There were two men at both the sacrifices. Isaac took his wood, carried his wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carried the wooden cross that he would be hung upon. Isaac and Jesus were both sacrificial lambs. And Isaac and Jesus were both in agreement with their fathers. We touched on that, that Abraham could never have got him bound and on the altar if if he didn't agree with him and at least submit to it. And we know that Jesus went to the cross voluntarily. Oh, he prayed, Father, if there's any way that, that this can pass from me, if there's, any way, if there's any other way for the salvation of my people other than me going as that sacrifice on that cross, then Lord, let the cup pass from me. But the key words, but not my will, but your will be done. Yeah, Jesus didn't look forward to incurring the wrath of God. He didn't look forward into bearing the sin of all his people for all time in that moment on the cross, in that time on the cross when he cried out, Why have you forsaken me? But yet he went to that cross willingly, in agreement. I think about the two of those. I remember... One of my favorite professors, uh, R.C. Sproul, one of our classes one time, he got to talking about Isaac and the type that Isaac was for you and me to understand. And he said, you know, on that day, it was so glorious as far as, as the offering was going to be for, for Isaac. It was going to bring glory to God one way or another. But yet when Abraham raised that knife before Isaac and prepared to bring it down and slay him and offer him as a burnt offering, there was a hand that grabbed his hand, the word from the angel of the Lord that said, Stop! Abraham! Abraham! Don't lay a hand on the boy! The hand of God stopped him. Then 2,000 years from then, there was another trip to basically the same place. Archaeologists tell us that Mount Moriah is right where Jerusalem is today. And and many believe that Mount Moriah, where Isaac was laid on the altar and finally the the ram was seen and offered as a substitute for Isaac there, that that on that, that mount, that is what is now known as the Temple Mound, where Solomon built his temple. It's been torn down now, and the, the, the uh, Dome of the Rock is there, and a, an Islamic temple, but it's, it's a sacred ground for believers. That, that is where Mount Moriah was. Very much in the same locale as another mountain that we call Mount Calvary. The mountain where Jesus took his cross and was hung there between two thieves. And as he hung there and as he died, R.C. said this. He said, you know, on that day with Abraham, someone stopped his hands. But on that day, the hand, the, the hand of God, who was offering his only begotten son as a sacrifice and a substitute, that day God raised his hand to bring the sacrifice to death 
And there was no one greater to be able to say, stop. Because it was the God of the universe, the God of all creation, who was making the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. Who was saying, this is the one who will be a substitute and a sacrifice for his people. This is the one who will bring reconciliation between God and man. We were at enmity with God, Paul says in Romans. Paul says we were very enemies of God. We hated God. We wanted to do our own thing, our own way. We didn't want to offer anything up to God. We wanted what we wanted. And does that not, does that not describe our culture today just as clear as can be? Lord, I just want what I want, God. I'm not going to say, why would I say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. You only say that by faith. You only say that if your heart and your life has been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and creating a new creature in you and making you new and cleansing you of sin and forgiving you of sin. Because of that sacrifice, because of that substitute that hung on that cross and died. Yes, really died in your place. Isaac was able to have a substitute for himself. So this is where, as we say with all types and shadows that we get from the Old Testament. And this is a great one. But with all types and shadows, they're never perfect, okay? Isaac didn't die. But rather, Isaac had a sacrificial lamb provided. And Abraham said, God will provide. He said it earlier. Do you remember that? As they started to go, and Isaac said, Dad, I see the fire, I see the wood. Those are two important elements, but the most important element's not here. Where's the lamb? And by faith, Abraham said, God will provide. I don't think it was quite as certain, <laughs> quite as energetic as it was after God stopped his hand and he realized and he said in this place we will name it the Lord will provide God will provide Yahweh the, the, the unique God of all creation the God of gods he will provide he has provided he always does and he always will you know, it's, we don't usually tie Romans 8.28 into Advent or into Isaac, perhaps. But I want you to remember that verse. When the Apostle Paul said, we know this. We know this. We know this. That all things work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. 
You paraphrase that to say we know all things work together for good for all those who belong to him through faith in Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. So this Advent season, as we think about Isaac going to Mount Moriah, and we think about Christ, the reality, the real sacrifice that the type pointed to, going to Calvary, and then being very close in proximity, we see that God points to his Son in everything. This Advent season, as you gather around the nativity scenes and as you gather with your family and you sing Christmas carols and wings, we sing Christmas carols in here. What, what, what glorious hymns those are. But realize that even as we sing those hymns, those are pointing to something greater. They're not just about singing a hymn. They're not just about saying some words. They're pointing to the true and better Isaac the Lord Jesus Christ. They're pointing to the one who was and who is and who is to come. They're pointing to the one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're pointing to the one who brings salvation and the only one who brings salvation. The only one who is, who is able to serve as a sacrifice and a substitute on your behalf. The great thing is, you just have to trust him. You don't have to do so many religious deeds. You don't have to try hard and, and be a perfect person. You don't have to try and say, well, I'm just going to be better. I've got people I'm witnessing to all the time and say, well, you know, I'm, just, I'm working at it. I'm, I'm trying to be a better me. It's not what it's about. It's about putting your faith and your trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ. It's about saying to him, Lord, your sacrifice can do for me what I cannot do for myself. And I trust you. And I believe you. And I believe that you will provide. I don't know what your need is, whether it's emotional or, or physical or mental or, or relational or whatever. It is. I don't know what your needs are, but I tell you what, if you're walking in Christ, if you are a believer... The truth of Jehovah Jireh, our God will provide, is true in your life. I pray you know that. I pray you believe that. And I pray you walk in it. Nobody held back God's hand. The sacrifice was made. All to the glory of God. Of God. Go back to that verse in Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever. Our purpose in this Advent season is not to see who we can impress with gifts. Not to see who we can give something to so they'll think more of us. But our purpose must be the glory of God, and sharing that glory with those around us. Pray with me, would you?
Father, obedience is never easy. Couldn't have been easy for Abraham. But he obeyed. And you gave him, in a figure of speech, as, as Paul said, you gave him Isaac back through a, a resurrection, as a manner of speaking. You provided a substitute so the, the one of promise could continue on. Our sacrifice died too. He didn't have a substitute. There was no substitute for him. He was our substitute. But Lord, as Isaac and Abraham traveled three days to get to the place of the sacrifice, after Christ's sacrifice, he stayed in the grave three days. But then he arose. He resurrected. Our sacrifice is not a dead sacrifice like all the lambs and bulls and everything that have been offered for generation after generation. Our sacrifice is a real sacrifice who died in our place as our substitute, but who three days later rose again, defeating death for our sanctification, for our being able to live with Him. Him and us, and us in Him. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning, for young people that don't know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in their life right now. Lord, I, I pray your Holy Spirit would use words that I've spoken, but, but he has to speak and work. And I pray that he will right now in their lives to draw them to faith in Christ. Show them their need for a Savior. Show them their sin. And Lord, show them the only, the only true and better Isaac, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We glory in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.